This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. All right. It's Thursday. It's our last chance each week to pick the prodigious brain of the quarterback. Brock Hewitt, Blue 42, right now. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. I'm jonesing for some Shane Waldron offense. I know that it's something I'm likely not going to see in Saturday night's preseason game, but Russell Wilson at yesterday's media availability was asked about whether or not he might play on Saturday. If he wants to play, here's what he had to say. Man, I'm always open to play, you know. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a coach's decision, but uh, I'm always ready, you know. Uh, I'm always uh, ready to play, and obviously being in front of the uh, 12s is always great. So um, we'll see what happens. Does Russ want to play? Do you think he'll play on Saturday night? I think Russ wants to play. I don't think he's going to play. If Dwayne Brown's not going to play, Jamarco Jones, we'll see how he goes. I know he got a little work in a couple days ago, did not yesterday. Boy, he is still out, still moving pieces up front. Yeah, I I don't think so, Paul. And, you know, I was chatting about this a little bit with Salk, and I was watching Hard Knocks, and I know I'm like a day late on Hard Knocks. Um, but boring. It, Hard uh, Knocks is boring. Yeah, a little, a little boring. I already quit Hard Knocks again. Did you? Re- oh, you already quit it? Really? <laughs> the second episode, yeah, I'm out. Did you really? You're out already. Come on. You got a guy with a shoulder injury. No one cares about anything other than the guy with the shoulder injury. Well, here's here's a little bit of the challenge is, you know, Pete has made this turn, and we talked about this, I believe, on Tuesday. This plant-based turn was in 2018, and now he's making a turn in the preseason, right? And it's been gradual, uh, and but but this year it seems full scale, and, and I do think it is the folks, the data folks upstairs but here's the challenge with that. Look around the league at what's happening all over the league. These teams like the Rams that are not playing their starters or the Raiders, guess what they're doing? They're scrimmaging against each other. The Broncos and the, and the Vikings are scrimmaging against each other. All of these teams are spending some days leading up to the games actually getting quality, good on good work. And as you watched, you know, Hard Knocks with the Rams and the Cowboys and the intensity ratchets up and, and you're able to... You know, to get some of that, you know, pretty quality, highly competitive work, that is the one area that Pete has said no to. Nope, I don't want anybody in the other program in our house, and, and we we don't do that. That's not the way that, you know, we go about our business, why he never wants to be on hard knocks. He doesn't want people to see the, uh, the secret sauce behind the scenes and the way they go about it, and he's been pretty adamant, at least with us over the last few years, that, yeah, the, the scrimmaging and, and doing that, not part of what we do, but man, if your ones, Danny, you were kind of lamenting this a little bit on Tuesday, are not going to get any work in the preseason, don't they need to play at least a little? And I think what you're seeing around the league with most everybody else is they're getting that little by scrimmaging other teams before the preseason game. I've always wondered if that was just geography. Like Seattle's so far away from everybody else, but you're right. Like Pete's, Pete's, Pete's always been pretty closed. Like he. He gives you the illusion of being the most open coach with media, and he is. But he doesn't let other teams no, come in. No, no. You know, Denver went out and played Minnesota. They flew yeah. out on a Tuesday. 
scrimmaged Wednesday, Thursday, you know, kind of light day Friday and played each other on Saturday. So, yeah, you know, you, you had an opportunity maybe a week ago if you wanted to do that, or I'm sure if they would have invited Vic Fangio and crew and said, hey, you want to come out a couple days early? You know, we got enough room at the VMAC. we got three fields. We can make it work. There's some hotels in Bellevue. I'm sure you guys would enjoy coming out. Uh, I think he would have done that, but that's not the case. Yeah, it's interesting. I always like it when Pete shows his like shows the traits of the paranoid football coach. Yep, great. He's like like all of the yeah, come on in here. Like hard knocks? Heck no. You think we're doing hard knocks? You crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What 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 good could possibly come of that? Like Correct. all of the different things. Like NFL Films gets a lot more information from some other teams than yep. it does from Pete. Like yep. he's open, but there are limits, and he does not budge on those limits. Now, I wonder the one, I, I bet you if there was one, and they don't play in the preseason ever because of geography, but I bet you if there was one coach, one team he would do that with, it'd be New England. It's probably true. That's such a strange it's thing. It's so weird, right? Like you have the most <laughs> closed off. Uh, I had Chris Peterson on my uh, uh, serious show this week, and it was hilarious because he's joined Fox, and you're going to see him on Saturdays, Danny, on Fox Sports, because the big noon kickoff's going to be, be out on the road. Man. Yeah, I'll bet that Coach, guy's going to be just a freaking live wire. Well, on I'll tell you, I'll like, tell you what, Chris, Chris Peterson just going to come out of his shell and be thrilling. I will tell you what, Danny, uh, I had an hour with him. And the smile really? on his face and the joy that he had. No kidding. I'm not even like, I'll send you. Yeah, I'll send it to you. You'd be like, who is this guy? And I even said that to him. I said, Chris, I got to be honest with you. I didn't mention you by name, Danny, but you were in my mind. Like, yeah. I know I, a lot of people are like, Chris Peterson, media, what? Really? And he, yes. And he was like, I love football. <laughs> Sitting around last year and, and through the pandemic and watching all of it. And I, I mean, I love ball. And, He's like, and I didn't realize, he said, you know, my dad was a coach. When I was six, seven yeah. years old, we were in the living room, and he had the whatever, the six millimeter or ten, whatever, the tape, and and it's on the on the living room wall, and I'm sitting there watching it with the other coaches, and here's a trap play, and here's this, and and he's like, just being away from it reminded me how much I love ball. So, of course, I said to him, I said, well, if you can do it, maybe Belichick can do it. <laughs> and he giggled again. He's like, that was my guy. I always marveled at how he could just say yes or no and not answer anything. I yeah. I loved him. He was my model from that presentation, but his model from this presentation, I think it's going to be very different. Fun to see. I'm excited to see that. Yep. Question two. Don Nelson's Zen-esque approach, maybe. I, I, I love Chris Peterson as a coach. Like I want to be very, very clear about that. I just think he's painfully boring. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not objecting to that style. He's just a board. So I, I'm excited to see if he is exciting and and and, and engaging. It's not a criticism. I'll tell you what he what he was though, Danny. Is you say that you're right. I think he wanted to give the media zero yeah, zilch none. zippo. But you know what he did do remarkably well? Recruited. Oh yeah. And you know what you're not doing right now? Recruiting. You're getting kids <laughs> decommitting all over the did place. You, Seriously. Did you know that that's the question? Did you know that that is question two? No. Washington has lost a fourth recruit from its 2022 football recruiting class. Ben Roberts, defensive lineman out of Utah. It's a fourth dude. They didn't yep. have any of it left after Chris Peterson. Should I Ever. be worried? Yes. Ah! Yes. Yeah, and that is where, Danny, like that's the, uh, the, the, the paradox that was Chris Peterson, right? Boring with the media, gave you yeah. nothing, didn't even like to meet with the production crew. Seriously. 
imagine himself, and he said it. He said it the other day, point blank, like, yeah, Belichick was my model. I, I always marveled at how that guy could say absolutely nothing, and and that was the way he wanted to handle his media. That was not the way he recruited. He was warm. He was engaging. He was trustworthy. Uh huh. Trustworthy, and that is why kids committed to him and, and committed early to him and stayed with him and did not decommit and I am not saying Jimmy Lake is not trustworthy Jimmy Lake is a now second year head coach who had what four games a year ago I mean he is a newbie in this realm that's got to show himself and I was reading somewhere and I agree with this it is all going to be about results uh, you know the production wise his seat obviously is not hot year two he's building he's he's doing all of that but you know as far as recruiting goes you got to win. It's the only way you're going to turn this de- this, this decommit you know decommitment faucet off is to go out there and show the product something you couldn't really do the year before because it was such a tiny small sample size. But now you got to get people back in Husky Stadium. You got to get it rocking. If they win at Michigan, guess what? Guess what? Some of those kids on the fence, or maybe even those that decommitted, were like, "Yeah, you know what? Okay, now I see it." Now I see it because all I'm hearing about right now is is words. Peterson, I saw it. I had decades of evidence to it, Danny. And so he's going to have to win, and it's going to be paramount for recruiting salvage this class to get some big W's on the board. Question number three. Saw a list put together, Rock, by Peter Schrager. I don't know. Oh, I saw that list in. too. In, yeah, and we are we're like on the same page today. It's Seriously? amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm Vulcan feeling you guys on this Thursday morning. Must be game week. Home game opener. week. Let's uh, go. I like Danny making the Vulcan mind meld. LJ Collier breakout year. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what is Schrager talking about? Yeah, that first let's one. Go. That first one is probably Puna a reach. Ford, Daryl Taylor, Jordan Brooks is the other one. Of all those Jordan guys, Brooks, I buy. Brooks, Jordan I Brooks, do I buy too. How about you, Brock, though? Of those four, let's take Brooks out of the equation. Between Taylor, Ford, and I guess LJ Collier, who's going to be a Seahawks defensive star? Well, Jordan's going to have the most opportunity, right? Especially yeah. if the big walruses cover people up and let him run sideline to sideline, which is you know going to be their duty. And it's going to be fun, too. You know, We didn't get to a ton of X's and O's and some of the different fronts and, and things that that you're going to see a little bit. I think you're going to see more mix this season from the Seahawks with some of their fronts and being able to get Puna Ford, not taking on double teams all the time, but actually get him on the edges or get him one-on-one situations. And and Cliff Averill was talking about this a couple weeks ago as he was really highlighting the D-line and loved the depth of that room. And he pointed to Puna as a guy that he trained this offseason. And he said, man, I think he is poised, especially if he gets one-on-one opportunities, you know, to be a difference maker, to be a Brandon Meebane, get you five or six sacks and be disruptive and be in the backfield. So of those, Jordan will have the most production. But my, my comfort level would probably fall to Puna number two. Got a little bit of money. Has had some production in this league. Has flashed at times some explosiveness. And I think with some of the different blitzes, some of the different fronts, some of the different scheme coming your way, yeah, I think that 5'11 nose guard out of South Carolina has got an opportunity to do some damage. I, I agree with you on that assessment. I think those are going to be the two most productive of those four. Here's the problem. Neither of those guys plays defensive end. And the two guys that are not going to make that leap, I don't think, do. 
and that's the value position. Yeah. Daryl Taylor, second round pick, and LJ Collier, first round pick. And yep. I don't think either of them is going to be that that edge rusher. So I, I do I think Puna Ford is a really solid and going to be a really good important pro for them. But that's yep. a defensive tackle is not nearly as important as a no, pass rusher a pass rusher off the edge. And that is where, you know, I think Pete would say to you, well, hold on a second, that's where Dunlap and Mayoa come into play. You know, that Daryl will will find his foot in, we'll find a role for him, we'll see exactly how that's gonna look. Is he going to be maybe a little bit more strong side linebacker guy in base, which, as I said to you guys the other day, I thought showed up, setting an edge a little bit, albeit against Oakland, or sorry, Vegas's backups. Um, but, hey, by the way, did Vegas do any role playing before the game? Role play? play? Paul Galan, have you ever heard John Clayton's role playing? No. Have you ever heard? I don't think you've ever heard this, Mora. I'm do sorry. I want to put, to he- hang on. Do I want to hear this, Mora? Yeah. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I'll let Mora dig for a second. We, uh, Howdy and I, I remember this to the day I die. Howdy and I were back east. I was taping a couple above and beyond podcasts. We were out there for the Clem- Clemson spring game, and so we did the show. Howdy and I in our in a studio in Atlanta, a radio station down there. Salk was in studio in Seattle. We had Clayton on in the morning drive, and the Vegas Golden Knights were in their playoff push, and they were doing their role-playing before the game with all their actors in the arena. Did I give more enough time? Yes, I've got it. Here and, you go. Yeah, if you haven't heard this yet, this is the thing that makes Graz laugh the hardest. Like, I've seen him, every time he's heard it, turn completely red and he can't breathe. Oh, he's wow. so hard. Here you go, Paul. Mr. Professor Clayton, if you yep. were going to... How are you and Rod uh, getting along? We're getting along really well, actually. It's uh, It's been an interesting process. Uh, but if you were going to be a part of a live-action role-playing group, what weapon do you think that you would be using? <laughs> a role-play group? John, we're going to let you go. John, you got to go. Go get some water. That's enough. We're not. You have to stop. Go get some water. That's enough. That's enough, John. We'll... We'll hear from you at 10 o'clock. Oh, my God. I hope somebody, somebody make sure John's okay. Kyle, please check on John. And that's why I'm a terrible human being, because I just, all I can remember. <laughs> Lozenges are great. I honestly thought the next sound we were going to hear was the thump of his head on the table, that he was going to lose consciousness. He was going to fight through his, his role play. <laughs> And he was going to just fight to the very end. (laughs) People should know this about John because when John gets sick, he doesn't want to take time off. No. He he will actually refuse to take time off, so he'll be sick. Like, there have been times when I was in the afternoon, we're interviewing him, and we're like, John, just just don't go. No, I can can come on and do it. And you hear him, and the end of it, you'd have people texting us of, like, what you just did constitutes elder abuse in 48 of the 50 states. Like, that sounds cruel and unusual that we had him, but John... John John's desire to play hurt yep. is unbelievable. Yep. Yep. He don't know that line between hurt and injured. He no, there's no quit in the professor. He That's right, the 509. Plays through. All right, boys. I I hope I'm more positive the Monday. I hope yeah, coming I hope so too. game number two. Did you just mention walrus duties? The four two five said that. What do you I mean did. by walrus duties? Yeah. D line are like walruses. Or wal- walry? Are they, 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 they like of- to exert 
uh, energy and effort only when pushed to it. They would love to lay in the sand, flop sand over them. They love to lay under the scoreboard there at camp in the shade. And then when it's time to go do your work, they do their work. But they conserve energy better than anybody else. But those big walruses, they got to cover it up and let Bobby and and Jordan and crew run around. I I don't know. What's your sense? You guys are 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 listening to it all week. Listen to Pete yesterday. Do you think starters are going to play a nope. few more starters Saturday? Nope. Uh, a few more, yes, but I don't think I don't think we're seeing the first unit offensive line. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the think defense is again going to be the one to focus on, and and specifically the cornerbacks are the guys that I will be looking at the most. Well, it will be a good test because Denver plays their starters. Denver's in in the middle of a QB competition yep. with Drew Locke and, and Bridgewater, receiver. so you're going to get their very. You know, as far as I think these three games, you're going to get the best, most realistic regular season shot from those guys offensively. He is Brock Hewitt. We will talk to him next week. Thanks so much, Brock. You got it, boys. See ya. It is Danny and Gallant. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. There are a raft of people across the country who bill themselves as NFL insiders, Paul. Yeah. And generally, I will <laughs> defer and say if someone tells me that they have sources and they know what's going on, I'll, I, I err on the side of, okay, I believe that you have talked to somebody. Every once in a while, someone who is billed as an NFL insider makes a series of observations that make me think, yeah, you don't really know what you're talking about. Mm. I have that declaration to make about one Jeremy Fowler, who's a very nice person when I've met him. He works for ESPN. But he has said two things about the Seattle Seahawks that have made me say, and this, I should be clear, is different from my gripes with other media members who I'll be like, oh, Mike Florio at Pro Football Talk makes him out and out of a molehill. The exasperated Seahawks. That Jamal Adams is going to file a grievance. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're going like five steps down the road and outlining the worst case scenario to create some urgency and get people to click on your story. This is something different. This is a person telling you they have insight into a decision into which they have no insight. First piece, exhibit A in the case against Jeremy Fowler's insider status when it comes to Seattle Seahawks. This is from over the weekend as it relates to Jamal Adams. Here's Jeremy Fowler. This is a pure standoff right now. I'm told Jamal, Jamal Adams has conviction. He believes in what he's worth. He's got a number in mind, whatever that is. He is clinging to it. Uh, it has to do with guarantees and structure, and there are a lot of things with the contract that they have to work out. So Seattle has tried to get this to the finish line. They're well above what the market is for the top highest-paid safety. So they're willing to go so far, but I'm told they're not budging. Adams is not budging. This could get very interesting because Seattle's stuck business-wise. Unless they get Jamal Adams' deal done, they're going to have some hard times getting any sort of free agency moves done on the side. they got to sign left tackle Dwayne Brown, too, who's also holding in. He's not practicing. So you know, everything sort of hinges on them getting past this hurdle. They can't seem to do it. You know, if this lingers, this could weigh down the team a little bit and have an after effect. So he was so dug in that he took that deal two days later. He was so he was so entrenched in a number in mind and what he thought he was worth. Was it he World didn't War really I give us someone invented tanks. He didn't. He did not give us that great of insight when it came to how how entrenched Jamal Adams was in his bargaining position. Like we can say that pretty clearly, right? Yeah. Like if that airs over the weekend and on Tuesday Tuesday afternoon, we've got Jamal Adams accepting the deal that the Seahawks had on the table. I think we can. Now here comes here comes piece of piece of uh, insider information number two is this Jeremy Fowler on with Jake and Stacy he, he, here he is with Jake and Stacy talking about the next item of offseason business for the Seattle Seahawks just based on asking around I don't think this is solidified yet but I if I had to guess I would guess they do a one year extension so he's got one year left they add a year 
gives them a little cap relief now. They can they can do it in such a way that help you know throws the bone to a player without giving him some huge extension because at his age I just do not see him doing that. Even though he's still a productive player, so I think they want to acknowledge that productivity without going crazy. If I had to guess, well, and so that's fair enough. He's saying, but it's the sources he talked about. I I don't think they're adding years to his contract. Like I and and based on everything that I've heard, I I don't think that reflects the approach that the Seattle Seahawks are going to take here. And and maybe I'll turn out to be wrong. And if that's the case, I'll say that hey, Jeremy Fowler had insight that 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 I lacked, and he knew more about what Seattle's approach in this situation was. But from everything I've heard and what I've been indicated, I don't think the Seahawks are adding years to the deal. It doesn't mean there might not be changes done to to what's left on it. But I don't. They're not extending. I. As far as what I've heard, I don't think they don't have plans to extend him. They really have not engaged in it. So I, I'm, I'm calling shenanigans. Like, I, I don't think that that Ooh. is an accurate reflection of what Seattle is planning to do. And we'll see what happens because if they add a year to his contract, we'll say, it's like, okay, Jeremy Fowler knew what he's doing. But I, that, I don't think that's based on anything that I've heard. That does not reflect what I've heard about what Seattle's plans are. It would make more sense if they were to start talking to Quandre Diggs right now about an extension. I think they are extending Quandre Diggs. I think Quandre Diggs will be extended. And if that's the I do case, not, I do not, I do not think that Dwayne Brown is going to end up extended. We'll see if he ends up playing or not. But if if there's an adjustment made, I think it's to the year that's remaining on his deal. I don't, I don't think it's to, I, I do not think it's going to be to add add years to it. Yeah, and I would understand why they wouldn't. I do think that they should because again. I don't see how they get the next left tackle. I don't see how they replace Dwayne Brown. And you're obviously not going to slap him with the franchise tag this coming off season because he's going to be 36, turning 37 before the 2022 season. So that's a totally different thing, though, right? Yeah. Like that's an opinion on what they're doing. Exactly. What, what they should do. The question of what they will do, like that's what the, the NFL insider is positioning themselves as, right? Like I'm going to tell you what's happening beyond, behind the scenes and what's next. And I think Fowler's wrong about that. I think what's happening behind the scenes is I think Quandre Diggs is going to get extended. And I don't think Dwayne Brown is, I don't think they are going to add years to his deal. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing them doing that too. Because it does feel like they're looking at it from the perspective of, we want to see what you do this year. If you were thinking about retiring this offseason, or if you aren't able to practice in the way that we would like to see the traditional left tackle practice, then do we know you're going to be here a year from now? So like, I, I, I get the reasoning. I, I still feel like, and this is the, the opinion, of course, as you just said, not some sort of insider information. I still feel like that should be the move that they go about. You know, that should be how they handle things. But yeah, what, what, what do we have here from Jeremy Fowler to actually indicate that that's going to happen? Not much, if anything. Oh, Jake called shenanigans. Somebody 206 said Jake called shenanigans on your rumor that Brown considered retirement this offseason. Well, okay, that's his right. We'll see how this poll plays out. It's Danny Gallant, Jerry DePoto, Mariners general manager. He's going to join us next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We got a little bit of a Mariners doubleheader for you here. We're going to talk to Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But right now we've got Ty France, Mariners first baseman, and just an overall professional hitter who is joining us. Ty France is with us. Ty, first of all, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Yeah, of course, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing great. We're doing very well. 
we're excited about you won two games down there in Texas, seeing the, the team pick up steam again. I guess I'll ask you, yesterday Scott Service said somebody described the, the Mariners as a team that just believes in themselves. What's it, what's it been like in that clubhouse over the course of this season, everything you guys have gone through, and you always manage to, to sort of get things going on the right track no matter what you go through? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, overall throughout the whole year, it's just been, you know, positive. Um, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs throughout the year, a lot of stuff that's gone on that we can control, stuff that we can. And, um, you know, the guys have pretty much stayed the same all year, which has helped, I think, get us to where we are now. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't see anything changing. This weekend against Toronto in particular, it, there's this feeling that you guys are almost unkillable where you just hang in games and you just wait and you wait and you wait. And the next thing you know, whether it was on Friday with the walk-off walk or on Saturday where you have the big rally late, that you just never feel like things are going in a way which you can't bounce back from. What has that come from? Um, you know, I think, I think we just kind of know the type of team we are. Um, we're not going to come out and, you know, we'll have our games where we put up a ton of runs, but for the most part, it's going to be, you know, get the lead or, you know, you know, stay as close as we can. Um, and then, you know, our pitching and defense is going to ultimately be what helps us win ball games. And um, then we have those, you know, games where we do have those late rallies and uh, go from there. But um, we're a scrappy team. You know, we're not, we're not a team that's going to come out and homer you to death. Um, we you know, have to do the little things right to win ball games. Well, and you personally, Ty, this has to have been. I mean, it's you still got forty games left, forty-one games left. There has to be a lot of uh, satisfaction in in the opportunities that you've gotten this season. But more importantly, what what you've done with them. How have you felt about this season? Um, you know, overall, it's been you know, it's been a good year. It's been fun. Um, you know, this group of guys we have is it's a lot of fun to play with them. Um, you know, day in and day out. And, overall season's a grind so they these guys definitely make it easier to come to the ballpark every day but um you know just to finally get that opportunity that you know i've I've wanted my whole life and um you know to be able to run with it it's it's been you know to be where we are right now in this position um you know it's been a it's been a fun year but the job's not done yet I'll say this: It's awesome to watch you hit. I love your watch, watching your approach at the plate and and how how seldom you strike out. All of those things. The other thing is, I know that earlier this year there was a there was an issue with a with a bone bruise, and maybe you don't want to talk about that too much. But I'm wondering how you've dealt with that and and the reality of of sort of having to continue to be available and, and adjusting to maybe not be in a hundred percent on something as important as your hands. Yeah, I mean. Um... You know, the the training staff did an unbelievable job helping get me back out on the field. And, um, you know, I tried pushing through it, and it got to a point where, you know, not only was I hurting myself more, but I wasn't helping the team at all. So, um, you know, made that decision, and um, they got me back really quick. And um, you know, this this game, it's, it's it'll beat you up. And, you know, being that we play 162 <laughs> yeah. games, the body is never, never going to feel 100%. Um, so you just find ways to work around it and manage it. And, um, you know, we, me personally, I leaned a lot on the, the training staff and they did a heck of a job of getting me out there. You're so casual about being beat up. Ty, you've been hit 19 times this yeah, year. Yeah, 19 times. I sit there and watch the game. I'm like, stop hitting Ty. Stop hitting him. <laughs> Yesterday, a pitch flies out of his hand and I know it was 72 miles an hour, but I was like, knock it off. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's part of the game. It is what it is. I, 
I, uh, it's part know, of the game. You're, you're a real bad, King you know what, man? I, that, that, how, how do you maintain the focus at the plate when you've been hit that much? Because clearly you're, you're sitting on the plate more than just about any hitter in baseball that way, but you clearly haven't backed off. And over the last two months, your average has been slowly increasing and increasing and increasing. Yeah, I, you know, for me, I, I learned in college that, you know, we were praised for not getting out of the way of hit by pitches. And, you know, that kind of just has stuck with me. Um, you know, I, it's not like I you know, go up there hoping that they hit me. Uh, it just, you know, it is what it is. It's part of the game. And you know, if they hit me, they hit me. If not, you know, I'll do my best at bat. We're talking to Ty France. A couple more questions for him here this morning. The other thing that I can't help but notice, and you've even been mic'd up a game, you you like to have a little conversation with the guys on the on on the base paths. Is is everybody pretty friendly out there? Have you ever had guys that really don't want to talk once they get to first base? Um, I've never really had anyone like you know tell me, "Hey, quit talking." I can kind of get a a feel for if they're talkative guys or not. I personally, I am. Um, you know, I've been yelled at multiple times by. So by uh, service not to talk to the other team as much, but uh, it's just who I am. And, um, you know, more or less, I, I, you know, most of the guys when they get to first base, they're, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of good dudes in this league. And, um, you know, I haven't had one guy tell me, Hey, don't talk to me. You've played all over the place this year. And I don't want to get the, you know, I'm just going to play wherever they want me to play. You got to give me a real answer here. Where's your favorite position to play? Because you played first base, you played second base, you played third base, designated hitter. We know you'll play wherever you want to, but if you had your choice, mm-hmm. where would you play? Um, you know, preferably the corner infield, where whichever one. Um, you know, it, I've played third my whole life, and um, you know, first base a decent bit. So um, one of those two uh, is where I'm most comfortable, and. It just comes down to whichever one I get more reps at and you know, spend more time at. Um, you know, one of those two is uh, home for me. He is Ty France. Ty, it's it's awesome to talk with you. We really appreciate you taking the time and and best of luck today. Finish off the sweep there down in Texas. All right, thanks guys. I appreciate it. We're All looking right. forward to another South of France night. It's going to be taking place on August twenty sixth in. Uh, the South of France section at T-Mobile Park on August 26th. So, how about that? Oh, Marseille. We've got Jerry DePoto, uh, Mariners general manager. He joins us coming up next on Danny and Gallant. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We'll get back to our Seahawks training camp coverage in just a little bit. That's brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We're waiting on Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto, who is going to be joining us. Just talk to Ty France, and he's one of those, I mean, cornerstones at this point, you would say, toward what they're building. A guy that is a bat who you expect to be in that lineup wherever he would be, and he looks at himself and sees kind of corner infield, whether it's first base or third base, and you do have some flexibility going forward between he and Abraham Toro, and you see you you see the, the shape of what Jerry DePoto's been to sketch, sketching out and that he acquires guys who often have multi-positional fits. Yeah, and I, I think that's big because you can't generally plan on one of your prospects being slotted into a position a couple of years down the road 
And France is a guy that Jerry had been looking at for a couple of years, much like who you mentioned, Abraham Toro, as well. These are things that we found out after both of the trades. And I think, Danny, what's been most promising with France is that he had that awesome first month to open up the year. He has the injury. He falls back to earth quite a bit. But then after that, he has steadily improved his average over the last two months. You take a look at his game logs. It's just a slow and steady increase from 260 at the beginning of July to right now as we're midway through August at 283. It's really impressive. And you want to see more power, no doubt, especially out of a corner infielder. But when you're hitting for contact like this, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is, I think, ultimately what you would have wanted out of Evan White. Right, because that's what Evan White, at least to this point, when we have seen him actually hit, he, he hasn't really been the biggest power hitter. He has been basically similar in that he's been sort of a slap hitter. Evan White's trajectory and one of the things they got really excited about when Evan White debuted in the minor leagues and the way he worked up the system was the gap-to-gap power he, he, he demonstrated. I'm not sure how they project Ty Francis power to be. And, and that'll, that'll be one of the questions. Maybe we can ask Jerry that today, because I don't know how the, the hand injury ha- has affected him. And Ty France had a bone bruise. He ended up and talked to us. He at, at one point had to go on the disabled list. Cause it wasn't just that it was hurting him, but his production was tailing off to the point that he was hurting the team. And since he's come back, as you pointed out, he's done a really good job of managing that. I still have the question of how much that has affected him. What you see from Ty Ty doesn't strike out on a team that strikes out a ton. Ty, Ty is Ty is not that is not the kind of hitter he is. So in some ways that changes the the expectation of what you what you have for him as a hitter because if you've got a player that strikes out a ton, he's going to have to hit with enough power to offset that. Right, exactly. And he's not putting the ball in play. And Ty France, I mean, you're looking at a guy. What is he? Is he second in the American League right now in average? Like he's just been an incredibly productive hitter who constantly puts the ball in play, and that is an outlier in today's game. You 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 do not see that nearly as much in today's game, and and it's great. And where he's slotted right now in the lineup and in, in in batting fourth, having Abraham Toro be fifth, and we we are joined now by Jerry Depoto, the Mariners' general manager. And Jerry, we got an opportunity to talk to Ty France just a little bit ago, and man, he's just had. He's had a remarkable season in how consistent he's been. From from your perspective as the GM, what have you thought about his performance at the plate this year? Just what you alluded to. You know, it's been so consistent. And outside of a period of time where he was battling through a wrist injury that, that was probably worse than he was letting on, it, it's been – Ty France is, is about as steady as it gets. You know, he shows up every day, and it is one good at bat after another. And – and Ty has great team at bats, you know, in those in the moments when you need to get a runner over, to get a runner in, or where you really need to start a fire, he's generally been that guy for us. Baseball's changed in a way where you do want to see more guys hitting for power than necessarily for average. France has done a great job of hitting for average. The power hasn't necessarily been there. Is that a next step for his game? Is that something that you expect to see out of him eventually? I, you know, I don't know. We just expect him to be a good hitter, and and the rest kind of falls into place. And and if you have a good approach, and if you are strong, and you have a feel for barreling the ball, the power will come. And 
you know, I guess we have in a more modern way, we've looked at power through a slightly different lens than we have in years past. You know, for, for many years, power was just counted as, as home runs. And, you know, we look at isolated power. We look at the way a, a, a hitter creates impact. And, and in those areas, Ty's actually quite good. So, you know, in a, in a more sabermetric view of power, yep, Ty looks like a middle-of-the-order hitter. And, you know, the fact that he has a dozen homers it isn't reflective of how good we actually think his his power is. We're talking to Jerry Depoto, and Jerry, we're watching your team once again go on a stretch of success after having a rough stretch of road. Uh, the the series of wins that you've reeled off, the two wins in Texas, the series against Toronto, and really you guys have gotten just excellent starting pitching. But it's kind of shown this team all year long has been resilient. Anytime there's been uh, there's really? been a setback, it's it's been really remarkable. Has is 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 resilience a team trait? Is that something a team can have? Yes, in a word. And you know, we've talked about it all year. And and this team is really resilient. They 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 do bounce back. And even within a game, you know, with with the exception of you know what were you know eight or nine ugly days when we had bullpen starts, th- this team has been roughly in every game we've played all year long. And if we get down two or three runs, they just keep clawing back and. You know, they're, they're, they're like the, the feisty kid on the block who has the, the bully holding their head back and they just keep on swinging. <laughs> and more often than not, they <laughs> land it. And it's, a, it's such a fun group to be around and you never count them out. And I, and I think that's one of the most exciting things about watching the Mariners right now. It's been a really impressive stretch of pitching, specifically from the starters. I mean, there's been, since the start of the month, just two games where they've allowed five runs or more, and when you see that, you you really look at the starting rotation. Whether it's been Tyler Anderson or more recently Marco Gonzalez, it's been really impressive. Jerry, is this is this maybe this two and a half week stretch you've seen the the best stretch of starting pitching that you have seen while here in Seattle? Yeah, it's been a number of years since we have had this kind of consistency in, in our starting rotation, and and that has been you know the big push for us it's we've 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 received some timely hits we've made some great plays but i think the the key for us has been the pitching particularly the starters and uh, and i can point to really all of them it's it's been a collective effort and you know flex has been consistent from day one you know and he's he's shown up every fifth or sixth day all year obviously we got a boost from logan gilbert and you know he went through a 10 11 start stretch where we we won every one of his starts and and then the arrival of Tyler Anderson, in addition to the resurgence of Marco Gonzalez, it's, it's really been fun to watch. And, and these guys give us a chance every day, and our bullpen continues to throw strikes and do what they do. That bullpen, and we saw it last night, Paul Seawald coming in in the eighth inning when you had kind of the, the toughest stretch of the order, whether it's Steckenrider, the, the different guys that have been out there. What's been the key to the bullpen's success from your perspective? Just that, that they pitch in good counts more often than not. You know, that's been a big stress point for us. And, you know, we're about middle of the pack in Major League Baseball and, and how frequently we miss bats, but we miss bats in the big moments as well as anybody. And, you know, never more so than you see with Paul Seawald. And, and you know, you see it with Drew Steckenrider. What, what he looks like now at the back of games is considerably different than what he looked like in spring training or at the start of the year. He's really evolved. But, 
the one thing that's been consistent with this group is that they attack the strike zone. And and as the season has progressed, it gets better and better. And I think we've now gone consecutive days without the bullpen walking a hitter, which is, it it sounds like a small thing, but it's not common. And and if you do that and let good stuff hunt over the plate, good things are going to happen. And and that has happened for our group as a whole. How much of that is you working with the pitchers on their approach? And how much of it is you seeking out guys who demonstrate sort of that that ability to to throw strikes and work in those counts? It's a little of both of those. You know, we, we do go out and specifically cite pitchers who have those abilities. But, you know, we also take on, you know, pitchers who have physical stuff and can overwhelm. And then we try to coach them into that model. And, mm-hmm. you know, credit to Trent Blank, to Pete Woodworth, and to Scott for, for our messaging. And, and it starts in the minor leagues with Max Wiener and Andy McKay. And, and the, our, our group has done a marvelous job of of dominating the strike zone. And, and that's what we stretch from the time they're in rookie ball through the big leagues and our messaging never changes. And, and this is the first time that we've ever had a group who we've seen a lot of players come through our system. And as they arrive, it's just part of the, what they expect to do day in and day out. And they start to help with the messaging for those who we may have acquired from elsewhere. And, and it really has become a mantra of our group and, and they, and they live it every day. They're, they're making it work. How much scoreboard watching have you been doing recently? Because all of a sudden, the <laughs> wild card standings are pretty close. It's it's fun, you know. This is this is why you're a baseball fan, and I'd be lying to you if I told you I wasn't watching because that's what baseball fans do. And you know, I know who Oakland's playing right now. I know who the Yankees are playing right now, and and I know who the Blue Jays are playing. And 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 you know, we watch what they're doing, and and more than just a casual drive-by on the scoreboard. And, and, I, and I think our players generally do the same. You know, they're, they're aware, and they may not focus on it. They know at game time they've got to focus on what they do and control their own destiny. But, you know, this is what got us into baseball in the first place, is, is how fun it is when you get down into a playoff race and, and watching what happens back and forth with each passing week. And, and this week is a pretty pivotal one for us, you know, with Houston and Oakland coming up next. And, a lot of our our future, at least as twenty twenty one it goes, is going to be defined in these next six or seven days. Well, I know that I'm pretty excited to see how your team wraps up this series in Texas, and then what happens next in Houston. Jerry, we always appreciate your time, and it sure is fun talking about this playoff chase as we enter kind of the final quarter stretch of the regular season. I look forward to the next one, guys. It should be fun to, to wrap it up. All right, that is Jerry Depoto. Our weekly visit with him. The Seattle Seahawks are going to be back out for their exhibition season, but these Mariners making things very, very interesting. We'll, we'll talk about where they stand in that wild card chase and what to expect next. That's coming up next.